Hello, my heart and my welcome to the Fuck You, the podcast that invites conversations about various access to equities within the context of Aotearoa. We invite guests like our handsome um, human next to us with a beautiful heart to identify common threads within support systems, social networks, and knowledge that uplifts the collective human experience. Kelsey, hit us with the question one. What does equity and support look like for various communities coexisting within one society? Mm. And today we have someone who actually was at the epiphany of 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 the mm. FAQ. So, um, Kelsey, what 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 like who is this person to you? It's like my substitute dad hugs. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm having a rough day because my dad lives quite far away, mm. I'm like, oh hey, um, can you come up here? I need a hug. <laughs> He does. It's great. Wow. So is Brilliant. this during during work hours as well? Yeah. Honestly. Um, yeah. Mm, okay. And this person to me, I feel like this person has like carries this unique essence that really makes me feel safe enough to be weird. And I go like the like I go from like like my so my generic weird is like at forty percent, mm. and then when I'm around this person, it goes bumps it up to like one hundred straight away on site. I'm like, yes, I can be weird. So with that being said, um, please introduce yourself and um, and whatever facet that 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 means to you, and then just finish the sentence. I am. Kiora Kaurua. That was quite an interesting uh, <laughs> in- introduction. I feel like. All, I feel, I just feel very dad. You're um, welcome. My full name <laughs> is Peter Kent Weston McPherson. You guys, Peter Kent Weston McPherson. <laughs> and who the fuck is Peter? <laughs> this is good. See, this is good. People get really conf- confused by this because <clears> um, my. I guess back in the 60s when I was born, um, you had a Christian name. And my Mm. Christian name is Kent. My first given name is Peter. And my mother, being a teacher, literally just couldn't handle the Kent, Peter, the two hard consonants together. But R at the end of Peter is a soft consonant. So Peter Kent just flowed better. It's literally as simple as that. It has its pros and cons. The pros being that if I ever get a phone call and it's for Peter McPherson, it's either the cops or the bank. So I can just say he's not there. You know? mm-hmm. um, but my bank knows me so well now because I've got I've borrowed so much money off them that they know me as Kent. So that's kind of good. Um, An alias then. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, that's my and actually the weird thing is is I am a published composer. Uh, I have seven or eight different publishing deals and um, uh, in, Aust- in the Australasian Performing Rights Association database, I actually have a pseudonym, which is my own name. It's weird because I have to have mm. Peter Kent Weston McPherson as my name, but I have a pseudonym, which is Kent McPherson, mm. which is just bizarre because that's actually my name. Mm-hmm. It's on my business card. It's on all of my, my email addresses and everything. But So a little nugget. Of information that you didn't know before. I actually did know. Oh, you did well, know. I didn't. Have you looked me up? Um, no, um, <laughs> we went on a, um, on a on a magical um, uh, music tour bus, and on oh, the way there, right. you did. Um, so Reveal. when you said that, I was like, in my head, I had the same exact thing. Like, bitch, who the fuck is Kent? Like, <laughs> and who the fuck is Peter? <laughs> who is this guy? <coughs> um, yeah, people always have a bit of a thing about it, and it's really not a big 
not a big mm. deal. It's quite common actually. A lot of people have, you know, their first name is not the name, their first given name is not the name that they use. And people go, what's your real name? <laughs> it's like, well, that is my real name, but um, I don't know what real means. But what was the other question? Oh, what a, what other question? So just introduce yourself in terms of who, who, who finished the word I am. I am. The sentence, sorry. Oh, I am. I am a composer, a producer, a performer. A educator um, and a um, and a phonographer, which is a person that goes and records the sound of uh, the, the the universe, pretty much, yes. um, and um, listens and analyzes and does that sort of thing. Um, I'm also a researcher. Um, I am the son of a farmer and a primary school teacher. I grew up in um, central and southern Hawke's Bay. Uh, in fact, a little piece of information, another little nugget, uh, the place where I first grew up was Hawke's Bay when I was a kid but has now been rezoned or re-countified mm. as the Manawatu. So they moved the border of Manawatu and Hawke's Bay. And mm. so now Norswood, where I went to primary school and where my mother mm. was one of the three teachers, is now Manawatu. That's weird. I can't bring, I can't, can't bring, I don't want to be known as from Manawatu. I'm from Hawke's Bay, man. That's it. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm very proud of that. My father now still, uh, well, has moved back to Hawke's Bay after many years in the Bay of Plenty. Um, and he has a nectarine orchard down there. Um, you guys thinking free nectarines now? Are you? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, it's coming up in about mid Jan. They'll be they'll be coming right. So, yes. if you guys are still my friends by then, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll give you like two each, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Kent McPherson is auditioning for new friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so if there's anyone out there that that you know wants to hang out with a uh, incredibly funny and talented fifty-three-year-old dude and humble. Yeah, then then uh, yeah, you can you Here can contact me through Far Q. <laughs> yeah. well, this could be the end of my friend, you know, my friendship. So, um, and I, you guys are talking. You didn't. You haven't asked me about the pronouns. Yes, I was I really interested because I'm, I'm quite intrigued by this because it's not something that I'm. You know, being straight white dude, it's like the whole pronoun thing. I had to actually ask you guys what that meant because um, it's not part of my world. And Why I is think, that? Well, I think because I'm a white straight dude um, and it, the, a white straight people ha are kind of uh, – they have a, a very um, strongly defined culture – that has very little questioning surrounding it, and um, there's a comfort there with that. And there's no, that's not a minority at all in this country. Mm -hmm. So I had to really think about that. I, my first reaction was, "Well, it's just ridiculous." You know, it's a ridiculous, like mm. he, she, it, what the, you know, pansexual and all that kind of crap. But actually, you know, we live in a time where people are now feeling that they want to be identified as what they feel like. And I think that's cool, you know, and I do understand that. I have uh, ch children who are both, um, one's a teenager and one's nearly a teenager, and they may identify as something other than, um, you know, white, straight people. And so they might need 
they may need to address these. So I think it makes sense for me to be understanding this. And of course, in my role as a tutor at a tertiary institution, um, I need to be aware of this amongst many other um, sexual and cultural uh, attributes that uh, people may have. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I, so mine is my, you know, mine is he, mm -hmm. him. Mm. I'm just, you know. I'm just really, really thankful that you're actually willing to engage in that conversation because yeah, to sure. me. I think that's been the most detrimental um, aspect to relationships and relationality is that we know we we know that these these new ways to 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 connect and relate to each other in in the in in the twentieth century as per se, and then the people who have already identified how to build relationships from a different era or a different timeline, that's not flexible. And that's not adaptable. And for me, I think I like I I'd, I'd almost be so thankful that you're actually willing to conversate, like have a conversation with yourself first, mm. yeah, yeah, and then have a conversation with peers like us. And we are your obviously we we love the way that you approach things, but that is I, like, I only wish that that was just met, like amplified to everywhere where we actually just re look and just reframe what connecting with each other looks like because. For me, that's well. I can't speak for you, Kelsey, and I feel like you, you please tell us your perspective after this. But for me, that's what the pronouns help with: connecting and 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 I and connecting to that individual, not that community or that person, or, or I mean, not all of the different pronouns in the world, but connecting with that individual from a worldview. But that's my perspective around pronouns. What's yours? I agree. I think it's a respect thing as well. And understanding that just because we live in a Western world doesn't mean that everyone wants to operate within a Western world, mm. particularly a white Christian Western world. Yeah, and and I mean, really, I think the word that springs to mind there is um, hom really weirdly, ironically, is homogenous. You know, mm. the word homo, same. You know, homogenous. I mean, culturally, there's a lot of homogeny around as well, I think, now, which bugs the crap out of me, you know, particularly in music. You know, it's very homogenous. It's like, oh, yeah, I love this artist. Oh, that artist sounds exactly the same as that artist. And then you find out it's the same producer, the same record company, the same mm -hmm. studio. You know, the, there's the, that lack of individual. It's, it's weird because we've got this thing that we're talking about here, these pronouns, these people that identify as things that aren't the, the white Christian norm, mm. yet a lot of our popular culture is going the other way. You know, homo homogenous, homogenous art, homogenous television, or whatever that is, or homogenous YouTube. Or, um, I mean, I'm an old dude compared to you fellas, but I don't actually have um, a TV, a, you know, free view at home. I bought a house exactly a year ago, pretty much, and um, <clears throat> the aerial was broken. And, I was, and, and when my sister comes over, she's she she she's like, "You don't have free free view, <laughs> like, no," because um, my children just watch um, mm. Netflix with me, or I watch Netflix, which is I think is great that sort of on demand thing, or YouTube, you know, um, mm. that's that's all I need, and Radio New Zealand, that's all I need. I don't I don't buy the newspaper. My neighbours have like the Waikato Times delivered, and it, the, the, the the young boy, you know, throws it. <laughs> Wrapped in cling film and throws it into the driveway, and um, they give them to me when they're finished with them for my fireplace. And I'm amazed how skinny 
it is now. Yeah, mm. I've noticed that print, too. Print media is really suffering, eh? Yeah. Um, which is a shame, I suppose, but, you know, save the planet and all that. I mean, I guess, you know, the digital delivery of media is also has, you know, a carbon footprint as well, but how do we stop that juggernaut, you know? That's like, that's... <laughs> Tough, right? Because yeah, look right. at us now making a podcast to right. be delivered in the in 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 the cloud, mm. you know. And can I just put a little thing out there for those people that want don't know for sure? The cloud is not <laughs> really a cloud. The cloud is actually a database, usually sitting on a hard drive in California, oh. protected by the U.S. Patriot Act. That's what the cloud is. So just be careful what you stick up there, folks. <laughs> If, if you get my drift, don't take that one out of uh, context. That's going to be my byline, isn't it? Yeah. Don't be, be careful, careful what you stick up, up there. Mm, that's a, that's going to be your quote. That's going to be your quote. Um, but going back to what you were saying around music, yeah. do you reckon it's because the market doesn't accept diversity in terms of how palatable different artists are because it's like they, they they like from my perspective on the on the music industry they have a system that works and they have a recipe that works and then they just repeat that for every single artist because of the money driven uh, mm. like behind the scenes oh, yeah so is that but you use the word market mm. and i mean that's the word that i just latch onto when you say that because I mean, what is that what is the music industry anyway now what is the, what is the market how does the marketing work um, streaming is the way that music is disseminated. Now, you can't buy CDs anymore pretty much. Mm. I mean, maybe Morrinsville Warehouse, maybe, <laughs> five bucks. No, I'm serious. That's the place to get stuff if you still want to buy CDs. 0. 0.007 cents per play. It takes an artist a million plays to earn $70. Um, it's... Way below minimum wage as a way of mm. um, of earning uh, of, of, of earning a living, um, and uh, it really bugs me that I'm teaching young people um, how to become producers, composers, performers, um, and they're going out into an industry which is thoroughly fragmented. The whole idea of getting a record deal, you can still get publishing deals. I won't go into the the logistics of those as such, but uh, the old days of the record deal where a record company would give you money to go and make an album and that people would go into studio. Oh, where do you want to record your album? Can we go to the Bahamas? Sure. You know, so they'd go, you know, 70 grand a day to make an album at, at compass point studios in the Bahamas where Bob Marley and, mm. and Grace Jones and Robert Palmer and the Rolling Stones did made legendary records. So the studios now closed down which is a real, real shame and is run is run down, still exists and I, I love looking at the photos of it now all run down. They've still they just literally left everything there. Um, those days are gone and so artists are now uh, evolving and creating content, sometimes going direct to their um, to their fan base, which has got to be a good thing. Good thing. I mean, I, I remember Lily Allen was one of the first artists in the last part of last century to really you know, make an album using Logic Pro in her bedroom in London, sticking stuff up on YouTube. Well, no, I think it was MySpace or something that she, was really her big launching mm. pad. And she's, yes, she was the daughter of a well-known comedian, I think he was, um, and she probably was connected well with people. Um, one of her 
father's best mates was Alex James from Blur, you know, so, you know, not a slouch. Um, and, but, you know, she, that was, I thought that was cool. You know, this is a democratization of, of making music. You can go straight, you can make stuff in your bedroom and go straight to your fans if it's good enough. Mm. And still, still the music still has to be good. Mm. People have to still want it. And if people do want it, they will, they will decide who, who get, you know, who gets it. Um, or you know how how much it costs and who gets it, but unfortunately, streaming is um, it's only been benefiting the major record companies, of which mm. there's really only two left now: it's Sony and um, uh, Warner Brothers, pretty much, and and the rest are just independents. You know, um, so <clears throat> yeah, it's a. I try not to be bitter about it. I mean, I use Apple Music, you know, because it's convenient, but I've still got all. A lot of the stuff I've got on my Apple Music is stuff that I have on CD or vinyl. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I've owned cassettes, nah. CD, and records of the same <gasps> album. And in, in fact, some of them I actually have. I've got Neil Young's Live Rust, which is one of my favoriteest records of all time, on cassette, CD, and double vinyl. Ooh. And on the Apple Music. Mm-hmm. The double vinyl, I haven't even opened it, it's still sealed. I just want to have the artifact, you know. Mm. And on the back, it's got all of the details. Who played on it, when it was recorded, mm. which is really important, where it was recorded, who produced it, who engineered it. All that stuff is there. You go to Spotify, Apple Music, there's nothing. It's like there's no there's no informa- there's no information about it. I want to know who played on it, where mm. what studio was it made in, you know, was it made in Compass Point in the Bahamas and, and Nassau in the Bahamas, or who played on it? Who oh, who is that guitarist? Oh, it's Alex Weir, and he he's the guy that played in Parliament and Talking Heads and stuff. And now you don't get any of that. It's just like <clears throat> just the music, no story behind it. So <clears throat> it's just this kind of it's like the icing. You're only getting the icing. Mm. You don't get anything about the, co- the how the baking and the mixing of the of the different layers, uh, right? Yeah, the recipe. You're just getting the final layer, and because the icing looks good. But the cake could actually be shit, right? You know, underneath. But the icing looks good, so that's all that matters. Um, so, and I think that ties into this homogeneity mm. that I'm talking about as well. Mm. Where, and going back to what that, the question that prompted this rant from Joe, <laughs> which is like, um, you know, what this kind of. Um, homogenous sound and auto-tune which I've had to reconcile my mind around um, has created very little um, unique standout music and I wonder whether we ever can again. Mm. I mean, my daughter's a great, a big fan of Billie Eilish and her music is, is, is very unique and does stand out. Um, I f- initially, when I first heard her, I found her voice to be quite derivative, but I realise now that it's not. Um, her first couple of out tracks, I think, were a bit derivative, and that was probably because she was 16 trying to find her voice. That's kind of okay, I think. Mm. But now she's making this amazing music, and, of course, what's great is that her brother is her producer and co-songwriter and he, I think, won a Grammy for Best Producer and he's not one of these big record company mm-hmm. hired ones like Max Martin and um, Jack Antonoff. Like Jack Antonoff just does everything, like everything. Mm-hmm. 
Taylor Swift, you name it. Um, Lana Del Rey, brilliant dude. But like, the, and what's the, this is the other thing. This, yeah, this is the other thing that happens. The record companies go, who, who produced that? That's better than, than the last record we did with Katy Perry. Who produced that? Jack Antonoff. We want him for the next album. So, and Jack Antonoff goes, show me the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Why wouldn't he? That's how the dude makes his living, you know? Mm. Um, and so you get this thing, this signature gatekeeping thing going on. But um, it's, a red, it's a weird one. I, I, have, I have a real problem with reconcil- reconciling with, with this this currency you know mm. in, in in music um but of course there's still great stuff out there you know new stuff that's coming out which is which is fantastic and um you know i've been and there 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 it does stand uh, alone i mean i if someone asked me a while ago you know who is the one dinner guest that you would want the most and for me it's it's Bjork. The Icelandic artist, you know, yeah, like that woman. I would, you know, I would marry her tomorrow, <laughs> but she wouldn't have me probably because I'd be way too annoying. Because uh, I'd be always asking her, how, how how do you do that amazing thing that you do? But she's just like there's this box of music, and she's like always been outside it. Um, and there's a few artists around like her now putting stuff out which i which i really like there's an an artist from the us called earth eater who um her music is just out there there's a the best music that's coming out at the moment is made by women without a doubt for me for me Mm. um suzanne sundfer from sweden i think she's from or norway Her, her music's just haunting and just makes you cry um, Earth Eaters just plain weird, um, you know. Bjork, um, Laura Veers from um, Portland, Oregon. Um, I really love the band Slow Dive. They've got a, a female and a male as the main songwriters and singers, um, and they've just released their first album in twenty-two years, um, and it's a, the best one they've ever done. Usually, when artists get together and they're in their fifties, they just Kind of mm. shit, but these guys are Has been, better than ever. Oh, I they, think they're better now. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they've been, actually their last album has inspired me so much. I've started recording an album of kind of pop, so, dream pop songs for the first time in thirty years. Oh my god! And I'm going to sing. Of, oh, what? I'm singing on it? Well, I've been taking singing lessons this year. Like, can can I'm try, I'm uh, my vocals are getting better. Like, okay, let's I can let's talk. <clears throat> Can you? Yeah. Let's just see how you go then. Um, well, maybe if you guys want to do a guest, I think then I think we I can feel like arrange we that. Definitely do a, a feature couple of, of sorts, couple of like, wines. Even if we just like, like you know, we can, I can beatbox for oh, yeah, you. Yeah. I can mm. give you a little bit of yodeling, yodeling. like you know, if, if you're wanting outside of the box, you know, like it I think sounds you, very much outside of the box. But <laughs> I took vocal lessons this year for the first time, and, and how ever. was that? Fantastic, um, fantastic with Julia Booth and. She didn't doesn't do any fancy stuff. None of, the, none of that me 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 me. It's all just like technique, technique, mm, and she gets you mm. thinking about how your head works and how your larynx works and how your vocal cords work. And you know she'll you know she'll grab you and stop you. And no, you're not doing that. 
you're not doing that thing that you're saying that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know? <laughs> and so that's really good. So my voice has improved so much and um, now I can sing, not all, but a lot of Radiohead songs. And Me. I figure if you can sing Radiohead nice. songs, you can, you've got a pretty good tenor range. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I love that song. Is, is it Exit Music for a Film? Wake from your sleep. Uh, before your father hears us today, we escape, we escape. And then it goes an octave higher. It goes right up. It's really cool. Um, it's a beautiful song about um, uh, love, young love and escaping um, from your boring life. Um, <laughs> I think it's called Exit Music for a film. It's off OK Computer, which is, yeah, a, an amazing, amazing record. Um, you know, like in my in my top five, I think, or top ten. I did my top ten with a, uh, you know, one of those Facebook things. You put your top ten, <laughs> top ten albums. I mean, I've got, I've easily got a got a top, a top three. Um, and at the top of it is, is, is um, pornography by The Cure, which came out in 1983. Um, it's got a, it's a very odd title, but it's a very strange record as well. Um, and Remain in Light by Talking Heads and um, Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk. So they're they're my like they're my top three. Mm. And my my best friend, who I told you about, um, they're two of those are in his top three I think as well so we sort of really particularly the the talk talk one um spirit of Eden he claims to live inside that record mm. so um and he's a musician but he he's he's a he's a singer and a painter but he doesn't do any of those professionally he's a, a restaurateur by profession but mm. he's a super talented and Annoys, annoys me because he's so talented. <laughs> Just does that stuff on the side. All right. So moving away from your homogenous um, yeah. life, but we're going to come back to that because I feel like if we're, we're going to jump into the communities that um, that you're attached to, yep. and I also just want you to just overarchingly keep the word homogenous because uh, to see if there is some sort of play with that with the different communities that you're attached to. So okay, so I wrote these down because I wanted I had I wanted to think about these. So come on, three communities. So. I've got farming as a community, mm -hmm. Hawke's Bay, which I talked about earlier, music, Melbourne, Australia, mm -hmm. um, and my current one, Perongia, <clears throat> and I've got these little things written afterwards. So white male privilege in Hawke's Bay. Okay, let's jump let's in there. Disconnected. Yeah, let's just, okay. Let's just jump into that one. <laughs> so, so carry on. So... <laughs> Yeah, right. Bingo, we found it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, why did I why did I think that? Because um, I guess I had a pretty easy kind of upbringing. Um, because my father worked very very hard. He left school at a really young age. Bought his first farm, I think, when he was about twenty two years old, which was very unusual in those mm. days and in the early sixties. I think he was even in the local paper as a sort of a bit of a um, a bit of a freak, you know, uh, married my mum, who was a school teacher, um, and they bought this farm, and I guess I came along, my sister would have come along only a two or couple of years later, because my dad's only 26 years older than me, 
So he would have been 24 when my sister was born. And um, he worked super hard and did okay as a, as a, as a farmer, you know. And, and um, you know, we weren't spoiled, I don't think, but, you know, we had a tennis court and a swimming pool because my dad liked both of those things. And my dad liked playing golf and um, he played rugby when he was younger as well. And um, we had a, you know, I had a, well, we had a motorbike, which I'd tear around the farm on. And, and um, I had a slug gun, which I used to shoot possums with. And um, just all these these things, um, you know, the shearing gangs would come and they would be like real hard, you know, real badass dudes, you know. <clears throat> Shearing gangs were always run by a Pākehā dude, but virtually all the employees were Māori. Mm. There were no Pacific Islanders in the Shearing gangs in the 70s when I was a kid, none. It was all Māori in Pākehā, but it was always run by a Pākehā dude. Mm. Um, and I always remember, I remember my dad telling me about the guy that was our main Shearing gang guy um, had to retire at 45 because his, he did, literally had destroyed his back because they mm. bend over all yeah. day long for six months, every day. Mm. And so at 45 he couldn't walk, you know, just from shearing, you know. It's kind of hard out kind of stuff. I can't mm. remember the dude's name, Scott, somebody. Some, yeah, but um, – <clears throat> and, I mean, I went to school with Maori kids – there was one Indian family in, in Danny Verk at Danny Verk High School and one Greek family that ran the – so the Indian family, check this out, ran the fruit and veg shop mm -hmm. and the Greek family had the fish shop, the fish and chip shop. And there were no people from Africa or Asia. It was just Pākehā, European and Māori. That was it at my high school. There might have been some – as I say, you know, there was the Indian Indian family and stuff, but it was very homogenous in that sense. Mm. I played a lot of basketball because I was quite tall, and and at lunchtime that was the thing I wanted to do was play basketball, and I hung out with the with all the Maori fellas because that's what they did at lunchtime, and I used to get called sometimes by sort of acquaintances that I was like a white Maori, and I remember telling. Do you guys remember Kingi Kiriona? Mm. He's now back in Dannyburg. He's from there. And I was telling him about, about this. And he and he was like, and that's a bad thing? Like that's a bad thing? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, I was confused by it. You know, mm. I was like, well, no, I'm not a Maori and I'm not trying to be – I think they thought I was trying to be mm. – trying to get in with the Maori kids because it was cool or I'd be a badass if I was. But it, that didn't interest me at all. I grew up with these kids and – you know, I grew up in a time when um, tikanga was at one of its low ebbs, you know, very much so. No one spoke te reo at all. We sung Po Karikariana badly <laughs> every now and then at school um, and made fun of the, the words as well because that's what people did. Um, and you know, Still do. Still do, yeah. No sensitivity about that. Um, and I just wanted to see if I could outdo these cats on the – Basketball court, that's all it was. That's why I loved I loved sports, and that's why I continuously advocate for sport because for me, I got on the team based on my skills. I didn't get on the team because I was gay or because of this, 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 and this. Yeah, and democratizes. Yeah, when I was on the court, I was respected for the skills that I brought, not because of all of these other things. And it's like the skills can only be attributed to the work that you do outside of the court. 
And that to me is where, for me, it was based on hard work. And and, and for me, I could I could attach myself to it. But if we deconstruct that, like I, we can decolonize that because for me, I'm like, a lot of our communities for Maori and Pacifica, we don't have the time to practice because we have mm-hmm. responsibilities outside of class. Yeah. yeah. But going back to your point, I think it's really sad when the homogenous perspective consumes someone like you in that specific position to, to, to almost alienate and, um, and make you feel like you were othered within your own community, which is, is I still feel like there's nuances of that that happen in right now in the, in, in the present. We're, we're, we're continuously, continuously alienating people because of our own insecurities and our own lack of we yeah. other people. And I also think that's there's a lot that's a lot to do with schools as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I lived in Australia for 17 years, and within that time, the decile system had been introduced into New Zealand, which I always just thought was the most ludicrous thing ever, and I just dislike it a lot. And... Um, it's just you know it's like oh okay so you 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 go to a you know a, a poor school like well no if you grow up where I grew up Dannyburg there is only one school to go to you can't yeah. choose the fancy school mm. or a lot of kids got sent away to private schools and stuff and hated it um, and but you know I went to Dannyburg High School because that was the only school you could go to decile whatever I didn't it, it didn't matter it's like you go there I realize now that. I got a good education there. Well, I knew that I did, um, but the most education I got was at home. You know, I got taught manners, and I got both mm-hmm. my parents are um, both my parents are, are, are really into um, uh, art. You know, like f- fine art, painting, and sculpture, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And and um, we used to go often to galleries and look at, look at work. And so I had I was exposed to that really early on. My mother was a piano player. We had a piano. I still have that piano in my living room now. That was my mum's, and I play it every day. And every time I play it, I think of her. And she, you know, she knew a lot about music. She was in. She she loved Mozart and she loved uh, Rimsky Korsakov and um, she loved ABBA and she loved um, John Denver and Rod Stewart. My mum loved Rod Stewart a lot. Hmm. Um, and um, so yeah, I got this. I got. I was able. I was given a lot of opportunities to get out of Haw- Hawke's Bay. Actually, you know, my parents wanted both my sister and I to just do, get out there and do stuff. Mm. You know, we were encouraged to um, be adventurous and both of us ended up going overseas for long periods of time. Um, my, my sister's uh, settled now in um, the Bay of Plenty and she's got her own business. Um, she's a spatial designer. She's done really well. Um, and I just kind of floated, I just floated around mostly through my, um, from from Hawke's Bay up to, I actually went to, ha- and I actually went to Melville High School in Hamilton for one year after my parents separated. My mum moved to Taumutu and I went to Melville High for a year, which was actually excellent. I made some great friends there. Um, then I moved to Auckland and then, uh, and, and worked, worked there and, and played in bands. That was really important to me to get in, get in playing and getting into bands and doing gigs and stuff. And, mm. um, and then went overseas for five years over in Europe and lived in Norway and, and lived in France and, uh, lived in the UK, um, traveled all through, um, Northern and, and, and Southern Europe. And um, you'll be pleased to know that I didn't go to the running of the bulls. 
<laughs> and I didn't go to the beer fest. I couldn't think of anything worse to go to. I just tried to basically avoid places where Australasians were. Mm. I wanted to go where Norwegians were mm. and where Germans were <laughs> and, you know, meet those people and find out about those cultures. And um, and then back to NZ for a bit and then over to um, Australia to um, do my um, do my degree um, in Melbourne and then I met my wife there and had my kids there and that was I was there for nearly two decades and then and then back back here and um to take up this this job I got here about 10 years ago but um yeah so the f- farming in the country is really really important to me mm. um I know there's a lot of farmer bashing goes on these days and some of it's legit and I'm and I'm 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 okay with that but I think there's a lot of there's also a lot of um, there's a bit of a vacuum of of misinformation around yep. Yep. around farming practices. Mm. Um, um, yes, the Waipa River, which flows through the village I live in, is disgusting and is is, is sadly um, polluted mostly by cow shit. Um, and I know that the local farmers are doing something about it because they have to by law, and so there is stuff being done. And I see it because I drive past the damn thing every day, right? Mm. And the people that don't just want to blanket <laughs> say how Trash. intensive farming is destroying the planet. Well, perhaps so, and I do agree that we should probably have less reliance on livestock, meat eating, and go more towards plant-based um, diets because humans don't have to eat cows and sheep and stuff like that and deer. Um, we can survive without that quite feasibly. But um, there needs to be a balance. My whole family on my father's side virtually are all farmers and mm. also on my mother's side as well. My, uh, my mother's only sister married a farmer, dairy farmer. Um, he's now a priest mm. he retired from farming and became a priest found his uh, calling found his calling later in life but yeah so but as i say this the, this country vibe is really part, a really a big part of me um i love being away from humans and mm. the quiet and yeah <laughs> it's um i mean i'm okay with city living i lived in london i mean you know 15 million people you know like it's fun and exciting and that's cool and i can vibe on that mm. but i don't gravitate towards that as my favorite place to be mm-hmm. i will adapt to it but you know when i leave the city each day and drive out there i just i just unwind as each kilometer goes by. yes and mm-hmm. then i get stuck behind a tractor who's doing 60 but i don't care it's like, <coughs> i'm not in a hurry now mm-hmm. what am i in a hurry about mm-hmm. i'm going home to my humble little house Umparongia with my beautiful liquid amber tree, which must be 40 metres high. What? I want to climb that thing yes. one day. It's going to be one of my goals. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just it's just awesome. And, and um, there's a really lovely little community there. And my neighbours hang food over the fence for me, lettuces and radishes that they've grown. And I put avocados over the, over the wall. And, you know, it's really cool. Mm. Didn't get that. I had great neighbours when I lived in Hamilton, but didn't there wasn't that kind that sort of spirit and that's the country bit mm. that I, mm. I dig um and so all my family lives in the country my sister lives in the country my dad lives in the country i live in the country and you know we've all lived in sit and we've all lived in auckland at one point in our lives as well 
but we've gravitated back towards this because it's about a state of mind and a way of being. Mm. Wait, so what does white privilege mean to you now as, as, as someone who's kind of been raised in that well, you were you you came from that community that was homogeneously white. Yeah. So what does what does white privilege or just whiteness in general mean to you now as an adult? Well, actually, I have to I would I would have to say that I didn't necessarily grow up in a in a in a predominantly white community because there are there are a lot of Maori people that live in the area of Porks Bay that I grew up in. Mm. Because whenever I say to people where I grew up, they go, "Oh yeah, he, you must, you know, heaps of Maori followed. You must be tough, dude, to come down there." I'm like, "No, I just that's just how I grew up." So that it wasn't predominantly white, but all the farmers were, mm. and so I was part of a farming community. And mm-hmm. actually, this is really interesting from this kind of this point point of view. Some old family friends of mine who I love dearly um, still live in Norswood. They've been there for fifty five years in the same house. Oh. And their children were friends of mine all through school and still are, actually. Um, they were telling me how the the owner-operator farmer is gone now because of Fonterra. So Fonterra's just bought up all of the farms in that area and they just put managers on them. And the managers might live in Dannyverk or in Waipokoro or something. And mm. they just drive in each day, like going to work. They don't live on the land, so there's no community anymore. Mm. Everyone used to go around to other people's places and have a party. You know, get, they'd get pissed and drive home, and there's, that's gone mm. now. That's a real that's a real shame. That's that makes me quite sad that that community is going because all the all the children that grow up in that environment don't want to be there because they don't feel the mm. community either. Mm-hmm. So the privilege part of it is is a, I, I guess I'm still kind of processing what that actually means because if you are kind of privileged you don't question it because like oh, i've got everything i need you know I've, mm. I've got the swimming pool and the tennis court and and i got my school uniform and i've you know i've got my guitar and stuff and um i've got land i've got land yeah and it's really Cause if, it's, cause that's that's where i was because i'm like if you told me that it was half and half that like the community yeah. but the owners were all white i'm like yeah mm. Mm-hmm. That's a huge. That's all, a massive. Yeah, thing. not all of them were, I think, but most mostly from my from my memory. But I think to bring it into the like the here and now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I'm that. now I separated from my wife of twenty years last year, and uh, well, it was nearly almost the year before, um, twenty nineteen. It was, and we. Um, we sold our house, and I bought um, a, bought this place, and um, I am very much on the breadline now. And you know, I struggle to pay my bills each fortnight when my pay comes through. Um, as a result of having this one um, income, I'm really fortunate to have been able to buy a house. Um, I know some some people may never be able to do that, but um, yeah, I struggle. So now I actually kind of have some insight into like not being able to have treats and not being able to go to the pub for dinner whenever I feel like, and I have to be a bit, I have to be really frugal and think about that stuff. And and I'm also really conscious of my carbon footprint. You know, I'm you know these people that you know live in places outside of the city, um, and they're you know, eco-warriors, but they're driving, they have mm, to drive into Hamilton, yeah, yeah. you know, 40 k's each way or 28 k's each way. That's a lot of petrol fumes, you know. So there's Twice there's, a day too. Twice like a day. Twice a day. You know, I'm doing 60 k's a day 
mm. so I'm doing 300 k's a week in my car just to go to work mm. for, for, for that white privileged lifestyle, Mm-mm. you know. But so you, you have to be really careful about how you, you know, but. Mm. And it's, I think to me, I've, I've always just defined it like um, whiteness and white privilege is nothing to do with white. Like it's not only about white people in general, because I feel like mm. we have to be specific about these things. But whenever we, I, th- I guess for me, as soon as you see, say white privilege, everyone goes, <gasps> Like and I'm like mm. no this 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 is a high level thing that has that we don't talk about it enough to the point where it's like oh now at at the commoners ground where everyone's like mm. no that's not white privilege that is white privilege and I'm like mm. I think also it's different for different people yeah but for me white privilege is how your skin color allows you to open yeah and allows you to move through society in a particular way. Mm. Like yeah, I'm very aware of that. Yeah, there's definitely opportunities that I've had that I know that Joseph hasn't had. Yeah. Yeah. And then there'll also be opportunities that you as a white male have had that I haven't. Yeah. Mm. Even though we're both white. Yeah, I mean, I get offended when people go, oh, you look just like my cousin. And I go, don't tell me he's tall and bald. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> right, that pisses me off. But you must, but you must get sick of like, Oh, dude, you're like so Tongan or whatever, you know, like these assumptions that people make that because you're obviously mm-hmm. a Pacific Islander to, to us, there's assumptions made. I got a Japanese friend who was a close friend of mine. We lived in Melbourne together. He's back in Japan now, lives in Tokyo. But he, he, he was telling me once how indignant he was and when he was on a tram once and I'm going, hey, Chinese guy, you know, he hated being called mm. Chinese and he didn't look. Chinese at all. He actually, if you look at Japanese people, they do look different. They Chinese Japanese people are Chinese. That's where they came from, but they have changed over time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of these assumptions. I'm very guilty of making a lot of assumptions like this. Too. Oh, for sure. And so, so, come on, like yeah, we're raised has. super ignorant to these things. Like, yeah. I think because we're raised in our specific households. I had the biggest assumption that my mom knew everything. Yeah, yeah. And because she knew, because we idolized our mom, so we were just having discuss discussion. When you idolize your mom, or when you idolize your 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 parental figures, guardian guardians, and what so, you 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 start to have this like full stop after everything they teach you. Yeah. When really it should be a comma. Mm-hmm. Because it's like they teach you that, and you need to go and find out what other people feel like and what you yeah. yourself like. Yeah, and because for me the struggle for me was because I was built in a community where we always were relational. I never talked to myself first about how I felt about the topics before mm. I went to everyone else. I just went straight into research on going to find out what everyone else thought about that, as opposed to having a conversation with myself first. Yeah, yeah, in- interesting. Yeah, I get, and it's about values too, right? Mm. Um, how oh, wait, I, what how else? What else have you got on your on your on your on your list so that? Um, I've got, so Melbourne, so oh, yeah. 17 years. Um, I went over there to study and then I got work as a teacher over there. Um, but after I think probably, I think post-millennium, maybe around about the time when I first started have had my first child in 2007, or just before that even as well, um, I had this thing where I felt disconnected from my New Zealandness, mm. didn't know how to define it. I was really getting 
quite sick of the Australian politics, the reliance of Australian um, culture on US culture, which I considered to be quite toxic and um, dangerous for Australasians to um, engage with. Um, and um, I got sick of the weather, um, you know, the, the bushfires and the extreme heat where you'd get 40 degrees for three weeks in a row and the low overnight would be 26 and you can't sleep. And then you have a child in the middle of one of the hottest summers ever and she couldn't sleep. We'd put her to bed in a nappy with no covers or anything, just with a fan on, she couldn't sleep, so you don't sleep. And, yeah, you know, I know first world problems, but... People, Australians think New Zealand has shit weather and it rains all the time, but I might say to them, actually, we have a temperate oceanic climate, which is actually shits over the Victorian mm-hmm. uh, climate any day, if you ask me, yep. because we have, we cool down at night, high temperatures, you know, what we know, late late 20s sometimes feels warmer. And Australians go, that's not warm. I go, yes, it is. It's actually warm enough. You know, our body heat is mm. like, what, 21 degrees, our mm. blood is 21 degrees or, or whatever. Um, it's like, well, you know, why do, Why would you need to be twice that and dry your eyeballs out and cook your bloody insides, you know? I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. And, and actually, I don't want to bag Australians because I have a lot of Australian friends and, 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 and that country gave me a lot of great great opportunities but people that say that they love 40 degrees are lying because those are the people that sit in their condition rooms all the time it's yep. okay for them yep. but if you think about the indigenous people they would have had to put up with that and would have just had to find shade and in of course places like Cooperpedi in South Australia they actually dig holes and they live underground mm. <laughs> because it's too hot and they grow grapes there <coughs> it's amazing they grow really good grapes in the in the Cooperpedi oh um, is that like a wine yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like, um, is it like, is it near, the, near the Barossa? Like, I'm, I'm well, no, they don't grow the grapes underground. Oh, but, they, but yeah, I don't know where they you get really the water had me from. Full there. I yeah, was like, I was oh like, my god, where are they grapes oh, I should have just kept that going. You should have <laughs> just kept you completely in the dark. So yeah, that was that was my that was my Australia thing. After a while, I really wanted to come back. A lot of New Zealanders don't. They thought like they get into their Australian way of life and. But that money is good. Apparently, like that money is so good that it's it 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 it, it, it to work over people there. to stay. Yeah, yeah, you definitely earn more money um, in the same kind of jobs that you do here. Though I got an Australian friend who just messaged me the other day saying, "Hey, I've applied for a job at Otago Poly or Uni because um, he wants uh, he wants a lifestyle change. So he's going to have a drop and pay. Um, he's a professor where he is now at um, Melbourne Poly." called i think um but yeah he just wants a wants to change the scene i said the, the weather's going to be a diff, be a bit different bro but he wants me to be a reference for him so um sure thing man um and i think my my other my third community that i put down i, I, I sort of put physical places really though though i called the first one farming is is Parongia, you know and i put a question there drawn here for a reason Drawn mm. here for a reason is the question, mm. but that relates to the farming mm. thing. So that I've sort of already explained that, I suppose. Just that sim- the simpler life. I don't know if my life is less complicated in my head these days, but it's mm. certainly less complicated in in um, the amount of activity that's occurring around me. I became very aware when I was becoming a, a little bit slightly insane as my marriage was ending um, of uh, sirens. 
and there was a lot of sirens. We lived quite close to Tarapa Road and just constant sirens mm. all day, all night. You know, you live just up from where I used to live. Constant sirens and it really used to get inside my head and now I never hear them, yes. ever. I hear occasionally there'll be a car chase going out towards Otrahonga or something like that mm. and you'll hear, you'll hear the cops or whatever, but there's just none. It's so good. Um, so... Um, yeah, and then my other thing was what's in the far queue. Yeah, tell us, tell was us. That what, what you were going to ask? Yeah, that's literally why I was like, "This okay, what? We've, we've come to that space. What, what? What's in the far queue that okay, you to bring got, to the front? I got this is a whole other podcast, man. But in a nutshell, capitalism, nationalism, <laughs> consumerism, and greed. Wow. That's, <laughs> okay, can you give us a synopsis and like? Okay, it's seventy words or less. Yes. Yeah. I can't. But what I will say is consumerism. Well, explain it, greed because I feel like all of them have to do mm. with greed. Yeah, yeah, greed, greed. Um, you know uh, how in, and information is now seen as knowledge. Mm. You know, um, it's not. You know, it's it's just information. You need to be able to um, filter it. Um, owning stuff. More stuff. I don't want more stuff. I've tried to convince my family to have no presents this year for the for the for the grown ups yes. and actually the kids too. So the wow. kids learn. So the kids learn as well. That's not. But see, this is a this is a tension with Christianity. Mm. So members and of consumerism. My, members of my extended family are Christian, and that's okay. But I'm not, mm. and so Christmas is about giving. Mm. and sharing mm. so but i don't need any more stuff i collect musical instruments i have a really amazing collection of synthesizers which i've gathered over the last 30 years or so and they're in my studio and i'm very proud of them i love using them and love playing with them so i have stuff but that's very specific i'm like a collector mm. but i don't need another set of Hankies. Socks. Socks. Actually, I probably do need socks. You always, a man always needs socks. Yeah, eh? true. Um, I, I actually quite like it when I get socks, <laughs> to be honest. It's true, man. You need socks. You I need get, socks. As soon as I get holes in my socks, I throw them away. What? Yeah, that's it, man. They're, they're done. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it makes me sound like a real bad consumer, though. Right? Wasting. Like, mm. okay, I should be the socks. I should be yeah. darning those things, mm. eh? The darned socks. Um, okay. But, move yeah, on. so, yeah, capitalism is the big one that really bugs me, which is why I'm very happy in the current political climate in this Wait, country. Do you reckon that there would be, that there could be a dismantling of capitalism within your lifetime? No. No, I do not. But I want to make sure my children are aware of this as a as a thing. I'm so glad also that you um, are bringing your children into this because I mm. feel like for me, I have understood for a long time that receiving a gift is, is a privilege. Like to me, it's, yeah. that's not that's not based on color. Receiving a gift is a privilege, and I think it's gotten to a point where we've drastically like instilled in the minds of everybody that christmas is about giving gifts and in my head i'm like it's a privilege to receive and to give full mm -hmm. stop like if you get something like we should be thankful and grateful for that but it shouldn't be expected like yeah yeah exactly that's the expectation around mm. it that's the mm. thing and christmas is not about giving i don't 
not to me. It's about being well, physical presence, like presence. Like I feel together. like you can give your time, you can give your energy, you can give your attention, you can give your just love to your people. Yeah. Without like the materialistic gifts. Well, that's a gift in itself, right? Yeah, that's You're way better. Giving your awesomeness to your family and talking about stuff and reflecting on the year that's been. And I don't see my dad that much these days he lives four and a half hours away so you know i really value those those times and mm. spend quite a, as much time as i can with my sister and you know we get on well um but you know you can really relax and you know you have a you know it might be the one time of the year where you actually start drinking it before noon yeah. you know <laughs> i don't know about you guys but <laughs> 11 much yeah <laughs> you know and so you just relax and you and we're going to have a barbecue this year and um no doubt my dad and i will get bored in the afternoon and ask my sister if she wants any trees cut down because we both love using our chainsaws you know but that's cool because <laughs> that's how we bond together you know we'll get out the chainsaw and we had a massive working bee over there a few months ago me and my dad my dad's got this amazing petrol powered um line trimmer thing and just yeah just you know mowing the hedges <laughs> it was brilliant um so yeah so the, yeah I, the, it does it consumerism and 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 and, and plastic and, mm. and i mean i see people over at the cafe across from where i work um every morning you you know the same they get sit, sit there with takeaway cups Every morning. I, I don't understand like what, why people do that. But why, if you're sitting there, have it in a cup, for God's sake, mm. which can just be washed. It's just like trash galore. Mm. You're like, well, why like, would you do that? If you want it in a takeaway cup, take like a keep cup or something, yeah. like your own. I bought a glass, oh. a glass one. I mean, you know, it's just, it's slowly changing, but when people need to be more conscious of that. And I, you know, I made, I made all of my garden beds at home out of recycled, Timber. I bought recycled timber from the, the place out in Raglan, and um, and that's that's you know changed my way of thinking. You know, just recycling, not having everything look uniform mm. doesn't matter. Mm. Just whack it together, put some soil in, and grow some veggies, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And um, I, I I love that too. I really love. I actually spend more time in my garden than I do in my recording studio now, and but I'm. The two are becoming quite closely re related, growing of things, the growing of ideas, and I am spending more time in my studio. I, di I, 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 I didn't write music for a long time. I was really not in a space to write. Mm. And actually during lockdown I found a lost album from 2016, which I've released and it's on SoundCloud. Okay, you okay. Can, if you go type in Kent McPherson into SoundCloud, it's called I Was the Darkness. And there's about, it's got about 35 tracks. That sounds deep. It's really dark. It's super dark. And I do not remember writing any of this music. Why? Because you were high? No, I wish. Oh. <laughs> but a lot of people listen to my music and go, wow, you must be high when you do this stuff. And I'm like, no, the music is the drug for me. Yes. Mm. And I have taken, I, 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 I used to take drugs and stuff and that's all good but um i just not well i still do because i drink wine it's a drug right yeah. um coffee's a drug you know i don't smoke or anything like that but <coughs> white, yeah white so, sugar's a drug yeah um and i yeah i found these tracks and i was like wow this stuff's actually okay it's dark 
But I went through them all, got rid of the stuff that was really bad or unfinished or finished off some of the ones and then uh, mastered them all and stuck them all up on SoundCloud as this one kind of collective of you know, this lost album thing. So 2016, you know, I was, was not not in a good emotional space at that time. I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but mm. um, yeah. So I realized when my marriage ended that I was in this big emotional hole and I wasn't using any tools to get myself out mm. and so I did after after we separated and that was amicable in the end it was sad and but amicable um and um you know it's like a death you know you have to deal you have to mourn it for a bit and um and then climb out of the emotional hole and both of us rebirth yeah yeah both of us um look a bit, bit healthier mm. now you know I think we are healthier and look healthier. I went and saw a nutritionist and lost about seven kilos in a few months and, you know, felt really good mm. back on the dating scene, you know. and Damn. Yeah, single yeah, daddy, what's yeah, up? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's um, – there's more, you know. Yeah, we can go there's on. There's another. We, yeah. we, 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 could, we, could, we, could re, we could revisit the mm. – uh, the greed thing, because I think it ties in with privilege and with opportunity, and I and totally um, you know, um, and I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm constantly reminded of the, um, the, the, the divide between access and not access with with, with my te- with my teaching role. Mm. I have students who say I don't have access to that, mm. and this was really obvious in the lockdown yeah. when we were trying to deliver coursework. And some students didn't have access to the stuff that they needed. And it wasn't their fault, but it was a situation which made me feel re- very uncomfortable. You mm. know, uh, It's just like, well, this person can't do this because they don't have mm. a MacBook Pro with the software on it. They don't. Some of them don't even have bloody internet connection. Yeah. You know, digital divide, right? Digital divide, totally. Um, it's not democratised yet, you know. Everyone needs to have a Chromebook to go to school, you know. I mean... Some some kids can't, parents can't afford it. Mm. I can't actually afford it, but I'm going to have to get one for my son for school for next year, you know, so I'm going to have to sacrifice stuff to mm. to do that, and that's that's important, school uniforms. And how he'll never know. <laughs> or he'll, he'll know, like, a really surface level of that, but really you had to readjust all your schedules to yeah. get that for him. Yeah, yeah, no, he knows, he knows that money is tight. Mm. Both my children know that money is, is tight and there's just not can't just go to the supermarket and buy all the stuff mm. and go I hate shopping eh like I really do not like going to <laughs> shops at all so um, my children as a result don't really like shopping either yes so it's, convenient. it's quite convenient though I did take my daughter clothes shopping a couple of days ago and she bought a deaf leopard t-shirt she wanted a deaf leopard t-shirt were so you proud as a dad? she used her own money oh. wow. I said to, I said to her and she bought a pair of like ripped jean shorts, of course, as well. Um, like <laughs> paying for something that's damaged is bizarre, um, but they look <laughs> they look cool, and she looks cool, and she feels cool, and she feels mm. good. Um, and I said to her, "I'm going to buy you a Nirvana T-shirt because that mm. that is cool." Mm. So I really like that one. It's got a picture of Kurt Cobain smoke, smoking a cigarette, and the quote is, "They they laugh at me because I'm different." I laugh at them because they're the same. Basically, I love yeah. that. Love I really that. like that one. Mm. Um, so I might get that, <clears throat> get that for for her. But um, 
All yeah. right. So if anyone wants to plug into you because they um they, they connect with your story or they connect they connect with your worldview. Yeah. Um what are your social medias? Or what, social what media. what's your what's your plugs? Well my plugs well like on Instagram. <laughs> my handle on Instagram. <laughs> Does anyone use that word anymore? Handle? What's I don't know. what's my at? Yeah. Uh, it's P Kent W Mac and now you know why. P, P. P. Kent W Mac Got it. is my <laughs> Is oh my, my Instagram? God. Oh, because you, you, you've explode. seen it, right? Mine I've explode. seen it. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't. Who the fuck is Peter? P Kent W Mac, and maybe Peter's um, your actual it. work dad. I have a website, kentmacpherson.com, which has my some of my music on there and my field recording work. SoundCloud is a place where I put most stuff. You can find me on on all streaming medias under Kent Macpherson. Um, also, got, you have a podcast as well. Please plug that. I in. do have a oh, podcast as yeah. well. Yeah, um, SoundCloud's Kent McPherson. But oh yeah, I have my. I'm actually putting my podcast on SoundCloud at the moment because I'm too broke to afford to do what you guys are doing, which is awesome, and I love your guys' marketing and everything. But um, my podcast is called Gathering Moss, and mm. the, the whole angle of Gathering Moss is about interviewing creatives, mostly musicians at this point. But I met a, I met a. Um, minister recently mm-hmm. really interesting man who's had a really interesting life and i'm wondering whether i might expand it out just to people that have gathered moss over a period of time beautiful so gathering moss the whole concept about is what stuff have you gathered along the way not what lessons have you learned really but what are the decisions you made that just defined a whole new part of what you became wow. and stuff oh. like that. So my first guest on that was Matthew Bannister. Mm. Um, mm. He talking about his life as a musician. He's been a pro- semi-professional musician for 40 years in New Zealand, which is no mean feat. And also a, a colleague of ours. Um, and we spoke a lot about his processes and why he made certain decisions. Um, he's a very talented musician, a very, very disciplined man. Um, so yeah, that's just that's on my SoundCloud under under um, as a, I just have a, a playlist called Gathering Moss, and that's where all of my uh, ones uh, my ones will go. So I t- I'm tending to interview older people that you know because they've had a bit of more time to gather the the moss and they're reflecting on their on their life. I'm going to challenge you there. Uh, yeah, do you want me? Do you want to be a guest on it? Well, not not me specifically, but I feel like young people got a lot. Young people got a lot. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. You are. You are most not, definitely not right. so much the young people who don't know how to reflect yet. But I feel like mm. the ones that actually go there. Yeah, but I guess in a way you'd probably have to do a lot of pre-podcast work to 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 make sure they understand that this is about. Yeah. It's not a reflection. It's actually about like pivotal moments. Is that what I'm? Yeah, with? yeah. Just, just, just shifts. Mm. It shifts in time and 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 um the deci- decisions that were made and things that kind of clung onto you that you didn't want to but they did. You know, <laughs> you know that's kind of stuff. <laughs> that, that the whole kind of yeah the gathering moss thing, the stuff mm. that you was you was that gathered on you that you. What a beautiful concept. Either wanted mm. or didn't want. You know. How did you come to that concept? Because we love our fuck you concept, but how did you jump into that? Well, that was moss. Just, well, you know, well, there's a saying, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Yeah. So, so a, going, a rolling stone gathers no moss means that you keep moving, you don't get stagnant, you don't, um, you 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 don't get um, stuck in the, in a rut. Mm. Um, so you know, it's a and it's a classic sort of musician thing. You know, you just keep moving on. You don't stay in the same relationship or the same band. You just keep moving on, like a vagabond just traveling through the universe. You know. Um, so that's sort of what that saying means, I think. But I'm trying to think about people that perhaps are a little bit more grounded. I mean, Matthew, you know, got married 
30 years ago and had two sons and you know that sort of changed his approach he started going away from doing live stuff to recording in his bedroom at home because he had to look after kids you know mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. so the, the these this is one of the things that he did mm-hmm. to gather some moss you know and reflecting on that as a as a practitioner you know but beautiful um, so yeah, that's just on on Kent McPherson on SoundCloud um yeah, under the playlist Gathering Moss, but I've got lots of my field recordings up there. I put a recently put up a dawn chorus that I recorded on the 1st of November, which is a, about a 45-minute recording of the birds waking up in Peronia, and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. In early November, the blackbirds mm. start going nuts and the thrushes start going nuts, and so it's basically a blackbird and thrush symphony. It's ah. really cool. And it starts off with a couple of them going tweet, tweet, tweet. And then after about 20 minutes, it's just this almost a white noise. It's really cool. So that's on there as well. Um, can, you, can you link me that? Because I yeah. feel like I, I actually would want to listen to that. I'm, I'm so into it. Maybe when you put me on Instagram, mm. we'll put my SoundCloud yeah. link yeah, or something we'll link there. Yes, underneath. please. Um, or I should, maybe I should put my SoundCloud in my, um, in my bio. bio. Mm. You know, I thought... One last little thing, right? Mm. I thought a really cool stage name for someone would be Lincoln, as in Abraham Lincoln, and your last name's like Bio, Lincoln Bio. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm thinking my, my, my next dad stage name you might be. I you can't like even, it? I can't even oh fault you for that. God. That was actually pretty good. Like, like Bio's like spelled LinkedIn. B-A-Y-O-U, like Bio, you know, like Lincoln Bio. So it's a little bit even more kind of. Bring your own, like. <laughs> Yeah. LinkedIn bio. LinkedIn bio, yeah, BYO. Even better. Yeah, okay, um, well, with that being said, <laughs> thank you for joining oh in on the no. Far Q. Oh, you, hey, you asked for it. He, he brought the dad jokes. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. You gave me a big dad hug earlier on. So, you know, that's what started it. You know. I needed that. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I've, I've, I, I'm quite intrigued as to where it, where it went. I wasn't sure where it was going was gonna to go, but. Um, I thought I was going to uh, get all negative and ranty, but um, huh? your guys' beautiful faces just uh, make me feel positive. So you know that's you are a positive person. Oh, I, tr- I try to be. I try to be as much as I can. I'm not always. But... Scratches the no hair on his head. <laughs> yeah, I need actually. I need. I need a haircut. Actually, you might have to come out and. Kelsey's got a good haircut. I might have to get her to come out and. Give my head a shave. Sometime. I can bleach the uh, rest off. Trev's Barbershop in Tre- Frankton. Trev's Barbershop. $12. 12 bucks. 12 bucks. I get you mine get done like this for twelve fifty. I got a Ward, Ward Street Barber. How do you not have your own clippers? I do, but I can't do it myself properly. I've, I've given up. So in lockdown, I had to get my daughter to do it. And she didn't want to. She thought she was going to cut my head off. She, was, <laughs> she seriously did. She was like nervous. I'm like, going, just grab it and do it. And she did, once she did it, she loved mm. it. So mm. she kind of was cool. Um, but... Um, so plugs for the barbers, yeah. Yeah, Ward Street Barber is the one I could go to, <laughs> run by a dude called William, who's who's Brazilian. William the Brazilian. Oh, he's I a cool guy. He's, he's also a good Second contact joke for them. <laughs> he's also a cool cool guy to. Um, he owns a blueberry farm as well, so you can get blueberries there as well. Ooh. From the barber, he sells blueberries in the barber shop. Go figure! <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, it yeah. actually is. All right. Do, 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 the fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Do, 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 do,